it blew my mind uh, what, what God has kind of hidden in, the, in this part of the tabernacle. So I was really blessed by studying, and I hope you guys are blessed today. As you guys know, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Exodus, just journeying through it and seeing all that God didn't make a mistake. In this entire book yet, we have found zero mistakes, right? <laughs> zero times where God's like, oh, let me waste your time by writing a few chapters of this. And, but how many times do we read the Bible and it's like, that was a waste of time, but it's not. The Holy Spirit never makes a mistake, and he composed all of this for you, every single bit of it. So as we see the details and as we look at the 10 curtains today, I, I think it's, it may just kind of blow your mind and, and bless you of, of how it, it teaches us about Jesus. So our first question we're going to ask just in our little introduction here is, who do you think that Jesus is? is. And, and I know you guys have all kinds of answers for that, but what I'm really asking is, when the name of Jesus is mentioned, what does your heart say in response? When the name of Jesus is mentioned, what really happens, not up here, not, I, have, I know all kinds of stuff about Jesus. I just know this and that, and I know what he looked like and what he smelled like. No. What does your heart Think about Jesus. What does your heart know about Jesus? A lot of people say, oh, he was a good man. Again, this is brain talking. He was a good man. He was the best man. People, unsaved, pagan, heathen, awful, whatever. I was going to name names, but I don't need to name any names. Bad people can say Jesus was a good man. But that's with the brain, not with the heart. Most people think he was good. Most people even think Jesus was the best man that ever lived. Uh, many bad people think Jesus was a good man. Many smart people know theology. And they could answer every Jeopardy question about Jesus. Right? Many good people think that knowing Jesus is about saying they're a Christian. And, and that's enough. But many of these people will go to hell which is eternal separation from Jesus. And we don't want that to be the case with anybody in here. Do I know theology or do I know Jesus? That's a question I want you guys to ask yourself right off the bat. What does my heart know about Jesus and his righteousness? Does my heart know Jesus as the righteousness of God? The most pure thing to ever exist? Does my heart know Jesus as the one sent from heaven? Does my heart know Jesus as the king and ruler? In other words, does my heart have a boss? That is Jesus, my heart. Does my heart know Jesus as the blood sacrifice that cleanses me? I picked those four things because we're actually going to extract those four meanings and, and, and character traits of Jesus from colors today, from parts of the tabernacle today, parts of these 10 curtains that we're going to read about. The Bible says that you and me are given special knowledge about Jesus to know him in our hearts in these ways. To know that he was from heaven, to know that he, was the, he is the righteousness of God, to know that he is the king and ruler, and to know that his blood 
covers us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit teaches those things to our hearts. Now, I can say those things, and it's going into your ear holes, and it is going into your brain mass, and your brain is firing all kinds of things about Jesus being this and Jesus being that and Jesus being the other, but it cannot travel from your brain down to your heart without the Holy Spirit. And you've heard it said, a lot of people miss heaven by 18 inches. They know about Jesus up here, but it's never migrated to the heart. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says, You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now, is it talking about knowing every Jeopardy answer? No. Is it even talking about knowing something in your brain? No. It's talking about an intimate knowledge or experiential knowledge of Jesus as a person. You have a relationship with him. You have all that you need to know Jesus right now. You guys do. You can trust in Jesus right now. You can know the things that the Holy Spirit will reveal to your heart right now. Seven verses later in 1 John 2.27, it says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and it is not a lie. And just as as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Do you see those verses? They show us that Knowing Jesus in the heart is not something someone can teach you. Nobody can teach you it. Only the Holy Spirit can, it's called an anointing. Sometimes when pastors get big and fat, they call it the anointing. Because it's a place, it's their own pulpit. They can just walk around and their Bible (laughs) sits on their pulpit right there. And I'm going for that. I want the anointing. So now that we, and if when you ask, how do you get the Holy Spirit? You simply ask, right? We've learned that many times. He always comes to the person who asks in humility and faith. So you have the Holy Spirit, and I hope every single one of you has asked. So now we are going to be recognizing Jesus as he truly is, the Son of God who came down from heaven, the righteousness of God, the King of all, the blood sacrifice. And these things are not going to be head things. They're going to be heart things. And most importantly, you're going to know his deep love in your heart. The height, the depth, the length and breadth of his love, which is connected with all these attributes, his love is going to be not something you think about, but it's going to be something you feel you know in your heart. I don't like the word feel, but that's the word we use to connect our heart to things. But really it's something you can know. You can know things in your heart. Because sometimes you don't feel like God loves you when you just get into a, you know, a big old thing falls on your hand and you lose your hand, right? You don't feel like God loves you at that moment, but your heart can be convinced of it even if you're being tortured to death. My God loves me. And, but that's only a heart thing because the brain will try to logic itself to death. 
well, if God loved me, then why is this and, and what and, and how? And then we get short circuit and then it's like Johnny Five-O. We can't even work anymore. Short circuit, anybody? It's a good movie, right? Thank you. Thank you. I looked right at you because you're my guy that's seen Johnny Five-O. Remember? Short circuit. Okay. Anyway. So the Holy Spirit, we're spending a lot of time on this introduction because I just, we have to understand the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to reveal these things. We don't figure these things out on our own. Man, let's say you're going throughout your Christian life and you're like, man, I feel distant from the Lord or I feel like I could do more. I'm not in the right place with the Lord and I feel it in my heart. I know about the Lord, but how do I get it from here to here? You can't and the Lord never asked you to. The Lord never said, make your heart grow three sizes in one day. He never says to do that. He says, my spirit does this for you. It's a gift. All you have to do is confess that you're needy, that you don't have it, that you you have brokenness and and you, you have it up here maybe, but acknowledge, I need your spirit to work in my heart. He always accepts that invitation, always comes and, and, and tells you about Jesus. He teaches you from the inside out. He tattoos his will and his commandments on your heart. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's why in this text that we're studying in Exodus, God is describing the tabernacle from the inside out. Remember, after, verse, after chapter 33, when we get there, we're going to see the actual construction of the tabernacle, and it will be from the outside in because that's man's perspective. Well, we're going to build this thing, so let's start on the outside and we'll work to the inside because that's how we think the Christian life works is, okay, let me imitate all the rules I know I'm supposed to keep, and then eventually God will figure it out on the inside. But God works the opposite way. His work is first in the heart, and then it grows outward. That's why we started with the Holy of Holies and have, and have moved outward. Jesus Christ is really the only thing that matters in this life. He is God. He's the creator of everything in this world, and, and his word is divine, a divine revelation of all that we ever need to know about him. And, and this part in Exodus that we're going to read is part of that revelation. And it's only through him and, and, and that we're designed to live is through this connection with him. Adam was supposed to walk with God in the garden every day. Remember that in Genesis? And Jesus has restored us back into that state where we can walk with God. He's adopted us back into the family that, that we were made for. We lost it through sin, but he brings us back through his good work, which he accomplished on the cross. So all people everywhere can be born again, into the family of God by faith in the person and work of Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross. And when you hear these things today, guys, you're lucky. But when you believe them, God has opened your heart and he has drawn you with his love. So not everybody even gets to hear the gospel in their life. And you guys get to hear it every Sunday. You're lucky. But it's only going in your ear holes and into your brain. If it travels down here, that's a work of God. If you want a work of God, what do you do? Ask in humility and faith. And what does he do? Everything. He does it for us. 
In John chapter 20, verse 31, John is telling us why he wrote his gospel, and he says, these things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you have life in his name. We don't have life by knowing in our brains Jesus. We only have life by believing. And that's, that's the Bible word for this thing coming down into the heart and it being what we truly put our hope in. Believing you have life in his name. That's the result of believing you have life in his name. Remember that the whole point of the Bible is to help you believe in the heart. To test your believing. The Bible sometimes will test your believing. To grow your believing in the person and work of Jesus. So, with all that said, the Bible is here to help you believe. Let's look at our text and find out what it says in Exodus chapter 26. So, let's begin in verse 1. Exodus chapter 26, verse 1. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen and blue and purple and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim, which are angels, and you shall weave them. So we have been learning about the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was this tent, a portable tent that would be set up in the middle of the children of Israel as they journey through the wilderness. And it was a place where they could meet with God The high priest could go in, and everything about the tabernacle speaks of who? Jesus. It it was there. It was made, not necessarily for those people at that time. The Bible says it was written and made for you at this time. It was a foreshadow for you. Everything. So even if they had no clue why they had these ten curtains, we should know. And we are going to learn, and the Holy Spirit hopefully is going to teach us today, what these ten curtains mean for us and how they're connected with Jesus. So let's read the details of them. Verse 2, the the length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the width of each curtain shall be four cubits and every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another and and you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the... um, on the selvage of one set, and likewise you shall do on the out, outer edge of the curtain of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make in one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, and the loops shall be clasped together, and you shall make fifty clasps of gold and, the, and uh, couple the curtains together with the clasps so that it may be one tabernacle. So again, God has been giving us instruction about his tabernacle. And Jesus is the one who fulfills all the types fully. He tabernacled with us, is what the Bible says. He becomes the tabernacle. So what do these ten curtains teach us about Jesus? Well, let's start by looking at what materials they're made of. The inner... So what these ten curtains are is we have the tabernacle... We're going to see the sides in a minute, but we've learned about the things, that the, the furniture that's in there. We've seen the, the lampstand last week. Before that, we saw the table of showbread. We've seen the Ark of the Covenants and the mercy seat. And, and this is a, a big room, and it's divided with a veil, and we've seen all that. But this is the roof, what's, what's above. On the, and so it's the, if, when you walk in the tabernacle, this is what you would see as you look up, these white 
uh, this inner ceiling of the tabernacle. There's going to be things on top of it, and there's going to be some layers, and we'll study those things later. But we see ten white curtains of fine linen. And what these are going to help us remember, when you see the number ten, you should think of, and the Bible represents man's responsibility is represented by the number 10. Numbers have a big importance to God in the Bible. Number seven is the number of perfection, right? It means something is complete or perfect. That idea of of this. Six is the number of man, right? You see something six, it's going to be man. Three is is trinity. You're going to see those things. Uh, Four is going to be a number of like the whole world, like the four corners of the globe, those things. So so numbers have a big deal. Uh, 12 is a number of government. So numbers are a big deal. We don't go overboard and make everything about the the numerology, but some of them are a big deal. And if you see 10 curtains and and we know that it's about man's responsibility, what other 10s have we seen? The 10 commandments, right? So the 10 commandments, and you're like, wait, I thought, you know, we already saw the 10 commandments. Well, yes, the actual 10 commandments were placed in the, the um, Ark of the Covenant. So here we have these ten curtains above, and this is what God requires of man. This is what a perfect life would look like. White is a color that symbolizes purity or perfection as well. And so these are white linen um, curtains because it's showing what a perfect life would look like. This is what we owe to God. If you want to have a relationship with God, you have to be perfect. Now that's a big problem for you and for me because we're not perfect. But what this tabernacle is showing us is God is providing a way for you to have a perfect standing with God. In other words, for you to be under this perfect standing with the Ten Commandments you get seen as innocent or perfect in God's sight. Um, this is a part of the tabernacle, and God is including it because Jesus is the perfect man. Uh, and he's not only the perfect God, but he's the perfect man. When he came down, he fulfilled every part of what we were responsible to give God. So if, if we were supposed to not lie, that's what Jesus did. And if a perfect life looked like obeying the Sabbath laws and those things, Jesus obeyed every single commandment perfectly because he was the perfect man. So if we looked at every single part of Jesus' life in the Gospels, we see that his perfect love for God and for man is represented. We never see Jesus saying, ah, I'm having a bad day today. You know, he always was holy, he always was loving, and he always was perfect. And if we could take the Ten Commandments and we could summarize them in just a few words, it would be be holy, be loving, be perfect. That's what the Ten Commandments say, and that's exactly what Jesus did. So these Ten Commandments are on the roof to show what kind of life Jesus lived but also it's going to be something that we are going to abide in. We'll see that in a little while. We see that they're made of fine linen. So that's the material that they're made of. So Jesus, in his keeping of the Ten Commandments, he was perfect. There was no stain of disobedience or sin in Jesus' life, right? 
He was absolutely perfect. We can investigate his whole life. We have more information about Jesus than most human beings on this earth with the four Gospels, just the four Gospels, we have so much information about Jesus. In fact, some people say that, you know, Paul the Apostle, we might have more information than even Paul did about Jesus. And Paul was able to write all of that of the New Testament. But because we have the Gospels so clearly written for us, we have all this information about him, and he was righteous. How righteous was Jesus? As righteous as God. And that's important to understand. That's the requirement of the law. Total, complete, perfect righteousness. And that's what Jesus lived. And so here we see Jesus was the righteousness of God. We can know this in our brains. That information has just gone out of my mouth into your ear holes, into your brain, that Jesus was the righteousness of God. But does our heart really see this? And does it glorify Jesus as the righteousness of God? When you hear the name Jesus, does your heart say, oh, perfection, holy. He has no sin. He is perfect in every way. Does our heart say that? I can, we can give a little test. Does your heart See his beauty, his perfection, more than you like see the beauty in other things. In other words, are you more excited in your heart about Jesus than about football or about coding? That was just for you. You're the only one. No, just kidding. (laughs) Are you more excited about Jesus in your heart than anything else in your life? I can't answer that question for you. I cannot. Only you know. And if you sense in your heart that, wait a second, I'm not that excited about Jesus. When I get up and I open my word, I'm not that expectant. I'm not that hungry. I'm not that, I'm not that into hearing him speak to me. I can't, change, I can't help you. I cannot help you. But what did we learn? The Holy Spirit is 100% committed to helping you. He can take that knowledge of Jesus' righteousness and he can shove it down into your cold, hard heart and he can soften that heart by his love. That is something I cannot do, but the Holy Spirit can and will. All we need to do is humble ourselves and ask, Lord, I don't love you the way that I should. Lord, I'm not that convinced of your righteousness. So what do we do? Try harder to believe it? No. Ask the Spirit to teach our hearts. Are we, do we all get that? Okay. So the whiteness of the, of the linen speaks of the righteousness of God. Only our hearts can understand that. Now, the second color we see there is blue. And blue in the Bible is always a color connecting. Anybody know? Heaven, right? Blue is the color of the sky. And it's, uh, for colorblind people, just trust me, it is the color of the sky. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but blue is the color of the sky. And it's the color of heaven. So when we see the color blue, uh, we see that it's speaking of a heavenly source for Jesus. 
Okay? As we look through the Gospels, we see that Jesus was consistently seen as the one who came down from heaven. I am the one who came down from heaven, he said. I'm the one who's been sent from heaven. He kept use, keeps using the word sent. So we understand that, yes, Jesus came from heaven. But he, it also is showing us that heaven was the source of his power and life. Heaven was the source. He was not earth source. He was not man source. He waited from power from heaven. He told his disciples, wait from power from on high. He trusted in heaven, would see him and would help him to do the will of God. Remember, right after he got baptized, the spirit sent him into the desert to test him. And, and he goes into the desert. And if he was looking for man to supply his needs or for earth to supply his needs, you wouldn't go to the desert. But he followed what his spirit of his father said, and he went, and he waited, and he did not eat because there was nothing to eat there, but his father's will was to go there. So he went there, he endured the temptation, and when he was about to die, and he says he hungered again, and he hadn't eaten for 30 days, 40 days, then what came and ministered to Jesus? Angels, right? Messengers from heaven. They represent heavenly help coming to assist Jesus. Jesus is the perfect image of someone who not only came from heaven, but trusts in heaven, trusts in the goodness of the God of heaven to supply their needs. Jesus was God's help and power for us too. He is the gift of heaven. Blue tells us all these things, just the color blue. Isn't it the spirit amazing how he records? I want you to record that I want some blue threads mixed in. I want the clasps on the edge and the things connecting that we'll see to be just blue because I want you to remember this is a heavenly resource that is given to you. So we're seeing that these um, curtains not only are describing who Jesus is, but it's also describing what Jesus gives to cover us, to cover us. He gives righteousness to us. He gives heavenly resources to us. Then, um, but does our heart understand that grace comes from heaven? Or do we try to earn grace by making a good impression with the pastor? Nobody's ever done that here. Or by giving more money or by doing more. Are we trying to earn grace from earth? Or would we humble ourselves and ask for grace from heaven? The only way you'll do that is if your heart is convinced that Jesus is the only one that can help you. That is the only way you will get on your knees and say, Jesus, help me. Is if your heart, if your brain, then you'll say, Jesus, you know, if you're really there, you know, it would be nice if you did this thing for me. But when the heart learns his gift, of grace. The heart calls out and the heart says, I will wait for your, and I depend and I believe and I trust and I will stand and wait for your grace. Isn't that a difference? Instead of us trying to get it, we simply ask and wait. That's what's called the rest of God. That's why I, when I see believers who are struggling and they've been working and they're burnt out, I want so much to just rush in and say, guys, it's about grace. It's about his love. And let's just learn to, let's, let's pray for the Spirit to show our heart that he is the heavenly source 
of our grace. Amen? All right, the third color, or the second color, the third thing we see here is purple. Which, does anyone know what that represents in the royalty? Exactly. Good job. 30 Jesus points. Free. 10. 10 Jesus points, just to match your shirt. All right. This is the color. The soldiers, when Jesus was getting crucified, they colored him with a purple robe to mock his claim to be the king of the Jews. Right? He was called the king of the Jews when he was born, and he was called the king of the Jews when he died. He, his whole life was surrounded by this king business. And even now, he's seated, seated on a throne up in heaven as the king of all. That's where Jesus is right now. But yet Jesus, he freely surrendered his royal status and his rights to do the will of his father. And now he's lifted up as the king again, enthroned in heaven. Does our heart feel the glory of this king? Do we see our smallness in comparison to his majesty? Do we see that nothing in your life really matters except his will? It does not matter if you die in the grand scheme of things. Now, it matters to you. It matters to your family. But he's the king of the universe. And if it advances his kingdom, we should freely give our lives in sacrifice for whatever he needs, right? We see these stories of kings and their great servants and knights, and they go on a great adventure. And I would give my life for you, king. And that's just with an earthly king. How much more should we surrender control of our lives to our heavenly king? Does our heart really feel that? Or is your heart hanging on to control? I will not accept my life going that way. I will not accept it. I will, I will do anything to avoid surrendering control of my life. Now, I'm not saying you don't work hard and do the right thing. We do those things because that's in surrender and do, being a good um, steward of what God has given us. But when God says, you get cancer. When God says, sorry, should, this, is, this is going ba- down in your life and it's really bad. Do we say, no, I don't accept it. I will not accept it. And I'm not going to follow you anymore if, if that happens. Or it, does our life belong to our king? That's something only the Holy Spirit can. And some of us are like, okay, well, I was with you on the first two things, but I don't really want God to be my boss. I don't really want to have a boss that bosses me around, that treats me like a servant. I know. None of us want that. That part of rebellion in our heart must die. And I can't make that happen in you. I can't even make that happen in me. The only way for this to be accomplished is for us to say, Jesus, change me. Jesus, Holy Spirit, transform my heart. Because it's rebellious. We are. We're selfish. We want good lives when God would say, I could use you so much if you would just surrender everything to me. Does our heart see our smallness next to his majesty? Or does our heart still think I'm a pretty big deal? I'm pretty important to God. And what would he do without me? The next color we see is scarlet was the last color, the last thread. 
And this, of course, represents blood, right? The blood. Even the way that this scarlet thread was made, they would take a worm and they would crush the worm and the red stuff would come out of the worm and that's how they dyed these, um, these threads red. And uh, in Psalm 22, Jesus says, I am a worm and not a man. And the term he uses for worm is the term for this scarlet coloring worm. It's amazing. I did a, another study on that a couple Christmases ago. Uh, anyway, Jesus' blood is what would accomplish all of God's, he, he would give to accomplish all of God's will. He gives his blood to pay for my sin. I'm going to read three verses to you, and we're going to just ask the Holy Spirit to teach us what his blood means for our hearts. Okay? Let's read 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Holy Spirit is teaching us his blood has more value than anything in the world. Any gold, any silver, doesn't matter. His blood is more value, and it was given for you. Does our heart know it? Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We've already seen white curtains. We're going to see that they're wrapped around us like white robes. But how are they made so white? How, how can I go into the tabernacle when the tabernacle has white cloths and it's got the Ten Commandments in there and it's a holy place? How can I go in when I am not holy? By the blood. The blood has an ability to cleanse us when our hearts believe. When our hearts Take it, hold it, believe it. It's mine, it's given for me. When your heart says that, the Lord has done it. The Lord has washed you clean in the blood of the Lamb. Isaiah 1 verse 18, God says, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool, white. God's like, come on, guys. I gave you the whole tabernacle with white curtains to help you remember you're not holy, but you can be made holy. There is a way for you to be made holy, and it has to do with the blood of the Lamb. It's connected to the blood of Jesus. Does my heart know that my sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus? It's the cure for any sickness of heart. The blood heals us. Man, all these things are being extracted just from the materials that we see in this 26th chapter of Exodus. Let's look at it. The next thing we see is that angels are to be uh, you know, made into the um, curtains. These are the servants of heaven, okay? These angels. They do God's will, and, and even today, they're, they're called to serve the bride of Christ, which is who? You. You are the bride of Christ. Angels, 
Their job at this point in time is serving God, but also they serve you. They love you. You, They see you as the bride of their master. Imagine a, a servant in a kingdom and the king gets married. That queen is just as glorious in the servant's mind as the king is. And that's how angels see you right now. They love you and they serve you. In Jesus' kingdom, there are many witnesses to his glory and power, and these witnesses are these angels. They're inscribed because in heaven, they're there. And these powerful beings submit to God's will and to God's rule, and they glorify Jesus. Do we? As his bride, do we have such commitment and such sincere? Do we understand how much God loves us? These angels see it, and they're like, oh, it's amazing. And they surround his throne, and they sing praises to God all day long. They get it, right? Do we? All right, the next thing we see in our text is that the curtains were to be in two groups of five. And if you guys, you, you students and scholars of the Bible, you guys know that the Ten Commandments, the perfect life, was divided into two tablets. And those two tablets were the commandments connected to our responsibilities towards God, and the others were the, the commandments about our responsibilities towards man, how to treat men. Don't steal, don't treat, don't commit adultery, those things. And that's why these curtains are divided into two. It's amazing. Does our heart fully embrace God's perfect standard for life? Do we learn and meditate on the law? Do we, do we see those commandments and study the Old Testament law? Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And let me tell you, I, I am not a legalistic person. I don't want to be a legalistic person because here's the problem with a legalistic person. A legalistic person does not have a high enough view of the law of God. You might say, what, that seems backwards because they're all about, let's keep the law, let's do the law, and God will be happy with you if you dress this way, and if you look this way, and if you do these things. And that's what we call a legalistic person, is that it's law that determines your standing before God and and, um, amongst comparing with other people. And we reject that kind of theology because it does not have a high enough standard of the Ten Commandments, the law. What we want to do is we want to exalt the law to its proper place, which is high and way higher than any of us could ever reach. It's a standard of perfection that none of us will ever reach to. We can never be perfect. We can never have that performance in ourselves. But God's gospel provides what we need. And as we meditate on God's law, and as we embrace the full perfection of it, Instead of us thinking, oh, I can do that, what happens? We begin to despair because we can't. And that's actually the purpose of the law, was to make you give up, was to make you say, oh, I need a savior. And then the law says, sorry, can't help you. But Jesus says, I got you, bro. And he comes in 
and he, he delivers us from the law. He removes the law's burden on us. And he says, now, when you enter the tabernacle, instead of thinking, oh, those Ten Commandments, they're above me and they're such a burden, we see them as soft linen that has been provided for us and we clothe ourselves in them because Jesus grants us perfect life standing in his sight. It's just given to us. We don't have to earn it. As we look at the law, we, we learn our complete inability to perform it. We're convinced of it. And so we call out to Jesus, and we enter the tabernacle of our Savior where the law is fulfilled, and we are accepted, and we're covered in the white linen robes of our Savior. I am never going to look at these, this, this, these ten curtains on this roof the same again. Because it just, it delivers me from thinking that I have to produce that. God is giving it in his son. It's a gift. In Revelation 4, 4, it says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. So the tabernacle isn't a scary place to live. In heaven, we're going to have thrones these 24 elders represent, and they speak of us. Being with Christ. Seating, meaning we're at rest. We're not freaking out about being in his presence. Why? Because we have robes of white. We are given a standing where we're just blessed to be in his presence. The law isn't scary anymore. We're not scared that we're not going to measure up to God's standard. We enter in and we jump around and we praise the Lord and we say, I'm so happy to be in your presence, God, because of the gifts that you have given me, these white, white robes. It has been fulfilled. The law has been fulfilled. You, you know, it's so fulfilled that he just clothes you in it. He says you don't have, you, like the white linen is made into robes. And it's just wonderful. Now we're going to read Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law. So there he says the, the law is right. The law needs to be exalted. It has a righteous requirement. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us in this life. Not, we're not talking about heaven anymore. We're talking about our daily walk with the Lord might be fulfilled in us who do not walk daily today according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How do I do that? This tabernacle is teaching you. You enter into the tabernacle by faith. You abide there because you have humility. You know you need Him. You know you need His grace. So we enter this tabernacle. We enter Jesus by faith. We say, you are my life. You are my righteousness. You are my gift from heaven, my grace. You are my blood. You are the righteousness of God. And I dwell in you. The tabernacle for you and for me is not a place we go into moment by moment, like, like just in the morning or in, like when we have need. He says, abide in me and I in you abide in me. All the truths of the tabernacle 
are true for you and for me every moment of every day. It is here and available to you. So that's our ten curtains. You guys with me? Let's stand up. We are... We've changed the format of what we do on Sundays a little bit. Number one, because we don't want to get stale. We don't want to do the same things over and over again so it becomes uh, religious tradition. Uh, We want to spice things up every once in a while. And, uh, And so what we've been doing is we've been doing two songs at the beginning and then doing our message, and then we have an extended time at the end uh, for us to really engage with God and really um, take what we've heard today and there's the communion available over here and I'll, I'll move my guitar out of the way. And, uh, and so it's really about you guys having a time to pray and to really connect with the Lord. Sometimes we go to church and it's busy, busy, busy. We hear the message, we sing, we blah, blah, and then we're done and we're out of here and we're going to watch football. Okay? But we're not doing that. We're gonna, this is a time where we are surrendering all to the will of the Lord. If, if you feel that you should worship, then worship. If you feel you should be silent, you be silent before the Lord. If you feel that you need His Spirit, you, like all the things we talked about convicted you today and the Spirit was like, right there, bro. Where are you at with that? Then ask him simply, Lord, help me. You know, if you need someone to pray with, BK is right here. He's one of our elders. Trust him explicitly to to pray with you and lead you and point you to Christ. If you need something, he'll be there and I'll be in the back. Come pray with one of us. If you really need the Lord, you feel your need for, for Jesus. We do not want to leave this place with any need unconfessed, any sin unconfessed. Let the Lord have some, some of your time today. He wants you. He loves you. And uh, I'm going to read a scripture before we start worshiping. You can play piano or something. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Remember, we learned about knowing, knowledge of God, but it's not in the brain, in the heart. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed through to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by cunning, craftiness, and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. He is the only thing that we need to grow in today? Does my heart, is my heart growing to know him more? Jesus, we, we turn now all attention towards you. We turn away from all our problems, all our distractions. We, we lift our hearts to you and we confess that we are uh, pretty self-centered most of the time. And we need a, a, a Holy Spirit revival in our own heart. We need you so much. And I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. I pray that if you have stirred up any of us and and really confronted us by your spirit today, Lord, that our response would not be hardness and and distancing ourselves from you, but it would be truly diving in and and seeking you and, and, and seeing how we can put our hope and trust in you alone. 
Lord, for anyone in here who has really never trusted in you and never asked you ever to forgive them of their sins, or they, they're not sure if they have, I pray that this moment would be a moment where their heart says, Oh God, I need you. Oh God, forgive me. Jesus, I believe that you alone can forgive me. And if that's the case, you are given new life, you are promised forgiveness, and you are adopted into the family of God, and the angels sing and rejoice over you right now. Jesus, work in hearts today, we pray. We want to be surrendered to your will alone. We don't want to fear men. We don't want to fear anything. In Jesus' name, we pray you would do all these good things. Amen.